Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. If you're new here, my name is Alexa and I am your host of Badassery Podcast, your go-to podcast for tips and tricks on how to be your most badass self. Hello everyone, it's um been a long week, but an exciting one at that. You know, it's it's Sunday, my very favorite typical podcasting recording time. And sadly, it's the end of Thanksgiving break. If you were anything like me, I had Thursday and Friday off. So I had a really nice, long, relaxing weekend just filled with a lot of food and family and relaxation, equal parts productive and relaxing, just how I like it. So yeah, I was excited to sit down to record this podcast because I came up with my topic earlier this week, so I couldn't wait to sit down and get into it for you guys. But first, let me hop into a couple of my highlights for the sake of time and to try to keep all my personal mumbo jumbo under 30 minutes. I'm only going to give you guys my top three highlights of the week. If you want kind of more of a deeper dive into the nitty gritty of my week, I have been starting to put out vlogs on YouTube. So I will go ahead and link my YouTube channel in the description so you can go and catch some of my vlogs and other videos to get a little bit more behind the scenes of me and my everyday life and just what I'm up to. So the first highlight from this week are these pecan bars that we made for Thanksgiving. Now, none of my family is a big pecan pie fan or anything of the sorts. We've maybe made it five times that I can remember. I can count it on one hand. Our usual go-tos are apple pie and pumpkin pie, never really pecan pie. But this year, I really wanted to do something that was of the pecan variety because I really like the that like caramelized filling that you get from the pecan pie. So we, my mom and I, made a compromise to do pecan bars. And the bars that we picked were from Land O'Lakes. And we had made a recipe before we used the Land O'Lakes oatmeal cookie recipe as our go-to oatmeal cookie recipe. So I figured, okay, well, if we like the oatmeal cookies so much, we can't really go wrong with the pecan bars, right? Correct. So we made them and guys, they were absolutely phenomenal. We literally devoured the entire pan in since Thursday. I really enjoyed them. They were delicious. They're ha- they have that addictive quality to them where you eat it and it's just so good yet so rich and you're like, "Oh god, I want another one." But what's nice about them is a the crust. So the crust is a shortbread type crust with chopped pecans in it. And B, the filling is with chopped pecans so you don't have whole chunks of pecans like you would in pecan pie. So I think that was great, and I think that was the winning combination. It was definitely a crowd pleaser, and I think we will be adding it to the Thanksgiving rotation going forward. So the second is we finally put up the Christmas tree yesterday. 
um, it's usually our tradition to put up the tree Black Friday weekend. Well, I say Black Friday weekend. It's really Thanksgiving weekend. So we usually do it Saturday or Sunday of that weekend. So it just worked out that we did it yesterday. We used all my decorations, which I love my setup. I love my decor scheme. I have a seven foot pre-lit cashmere fir tree. I think that's what it's called. It's from Michael's. I think it was like 60 or $70 when I bought it last year, but it's been my absolute favorite. And what I do that's a little bit different is I add extra lights to my tree. I know that kind of defeats the purpose of pre-lit, but I love the lights. I love the glow and everything. So instead of just getting plain white lights, I got amber lights and it makes a total difference. Like it adds more of a cozy vibe and just kind of this warm glow. So yeah, and then I would say my tree, it's very, of the color scheme has like gold, champagne, bronze, copper, brown, a little bit of silver. So just kind of all the metals like that, which really kind of give it like a really nice warm vibe. So the tree was perfect. We put it up. We also had eggnog with metaxa, which is my go-to Christmas drink. Metaxa is a Greek brandy, so you could really pretty much replicate it, which is eggnog and brandy. So yeah, way to kick off the holiday season. So that was definitely a highlight. You know, Christmas always comes and goes so fast. So I always like to just put up the tree as soon as I can to really just enjoy it. Last year I put it up, I think it was before Thanksgiving because I was spending the weekend at my parents' house. So when I came back, the tree was already done. This year we're doing it Thanksgiving weekend. So it kind of just depends, but around the, you know, Thanksgiving timeframe, I've seen a lot of people in my circles put the tree up earlier, you know, earlier in November, which I'm not mad at because this year has been quite a dumpster fire. So I figured, you know, people can be forgiven for putting their tree up earlier than after Thanksgiving. So no shame in that for anyone who has done that. And my last tip is I finally got my first vlog published on YouTube. I think I linked it in the description for this podcast last week because by the time I was editing it and it got uploaded, the vlog was already up, but it was definitely a highlight. I had never really thought of myself as a a video person. And so when I was able to get a vlog and put the vlog up. I got really excited. Although it did take like all day Tuesday and Monday night to do it because of the size of the video file. So I think for the future, I just need to remember to keep the video file lower, you know, just keep just keep the file lower and compress it or something like that because it took Honest to God, I think by the time it was all said and done, almost 24 hours to export the footage and upload it to YouTube. So hopefully when I do my vlog tomorrow night, I won't have that problem. But yeah, it's very exciting. Definitely something new for me. You know, I know it definitely has doesn't have a lot of views right now or anything like that, but it it'll it'll get there. I have all the confidence in it, but it's just something fun to do. And today I also 
did an overhead video of me memory planning that I'm planning on doing a like a voiceover for and uploading that as a video. So that'll be exciting too. So I'm just kind of dabbling into the video arts, if you will. I would typically do this stuff on a blog and like describe it on a blog. But you know, video is the new blog, I guess, in 2020 and 2021. So that's what I'm aiming for with that going forward. But yeah, um, it's exciting. I just finished out my other vlog. I don't think it'll be quite as long as this last one was mostly because I basically didn't vlog for three days because it was, you know, just the holiday and I was busy and all sorts of things like that. So we'll see how much vlog footage I actually have. But I was pleasantly surprised that the first one I did was over an hour long, which means I had a lot to talk about. So I don't think this one will be quite as long, but it's still, it, it's exciting. That's for sure. Now moving into my tip of the week. So this one this one was a hard one to kind of come up with, but I guess I can say that I can give two tips. I'll give two tips because, you know, it's the holiday season and I'll just be generous. So my one tip is to really kind of keep an eye on the amount of food to make. Like with Thanksgiving, you know, it's so easy to go overboard, but at the same time, it's not. Like there were three of us here, me and my parents, and we got a 12 pound turkey and we made three sides. Granted, we did go overboard at the dessert a little bit, but like three sides, three people, 12 pound turkey. We had basically two and a half meals worth of food, which is really not that bad because then you just figure, you know, Friday and Saturday and it was plenty and we could have sandwiches and stuff. And my mom is really big on using the carcass to make turkey soup. So it really extends it smartly, but we're not eating turkey for three weeks. So I guess going into the Christmas season, that's what I would recommend is really just be smart about your food because yeah, it's it could be great. Like you don't have to have ham for a week after Christmas or whatever it is. You could plan it strategically so you maybe have it for like two or three meals. So that is the first tip. And then the second tip I have is to kind of, it kind of goes along the same lines, but to maybe not like batch friend gifts, but to find a way to do it where you can, do it so it's more cost effective because last year I love my friends don't get me wrong I spent way too much money on Christmas gifts last year and like there's no shame in that like I don't mind it at all but you know with things changing and all that I just wanted to do something more that showed a labor of love as opposed to just money spent so this year I'm baking for all of my friends so spoiler if you're one of my friends listening to this podcast and I'm just baking my my favorites so my favorite holiday traditional dishes and even some baklava and I'm going to distribute it to my friends and I think it's a really fun way to just do what I really love doing around the holidays which is baking without having all of the extra leftovers because I can't possibly eat all those batches of baked goods that I'm making it's just not gonna happen so I figured you know let me just bake it and give it away as gifts and all that but like when you 
do the cost and everything, it actually comes out to be a lot, a lot lower because you maybe, I don't know, spend $100 on ingredients, but you're giving it to, you know, 12, 14 people. It comes out to, you know, less than $10 a person, which is amazing. And it's delicious. And they know that you put a lot of time and effort and love into it. So that is one thing Another thing is like getting these gift sets from, I don't know, Sephora, Ulta, whatever that have multiples in them and then distributing it out that way. So maybe you get like three different gift sets and, you know, distribute it among like four friends or something like that. So it's also an easy way to give gifts that, you know, won't break the bank because I know, you know, with the pandemic and everything, money's tight because, you know, just circumstances. But if you still want to do something nice, maybe think about it that way where maybe you're baking somebody some Christmas cookies or you're take, giving somebody a way to have a self-care night or whatever it might be. But those are my two tips for you. And last but not least, three of my favorites for this week. I just realized I did this out of order, but it's all good. So one is my gooseneck phone holder. So I got this phone holder based on Katie Bellotti. I saw that she had one and I was like, hey, like I'm gonna do more videos. I wanna get one of these. So what it essentially does is it hooks onto like a table or a shelf or whatever, and it it can hold your phone. So I've been doing it for overhead stuff and it works really well. Like it's very adjustable. It's very easy to position very flexible gets you a great overhead shot so I highly recommend that I think it was only $20 on Amazon and it comes in a couple different colors so if you're gonna do overhead stuff or need your phone for at an angle or something like I highly recommend it the second thing is click up so I had kind of seen ClickUp through work and I've been looking at new project management software and all that and then I watched a video from Natalie Barbu on YouTube on how she uses ClickUp to manage her stuff and so I was like okay let me look into this again and guys like if Trello does not work for you I highly highly recommend ClickUp. Once, once you get the hang of it it's easy to navigate you can create what's called spaces so each one of your projects or whatever has a different area and then you can have boards and mind maps and calendars and all the bells and whistles you can even have documents that you can reference so I've been really liking that so I've been kind of playing around with it and filling it out and I think to keep all aspects of myself organized so this podcast my brand my business anything else my personal goals I think it's really going to be a good tool so if you haven't into that yet but need a new solution, I highly recommend it. It's free or you can pay for an upgraded version. I think it gets you more spaces and stuff like that. So that is that. And then my third is I finally found the wool coat that I've been waiting for. So last year I gave away a couple jackets of like wool ones that I had and I wanted to get a new one. So I've been just on the hunt for a great camel color wool jacket. So, of course, it's been, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Week, whatever we want to call it. And J. Crew had a phenomenal sale on their stuff, 50% off. 
So I saw this jacket and when I saw it, I felt like the, you had that sound, the ah sound of, oh my gosh, this is it. So it is a camel wrap coat. So it has like a belted wrap coat. I think it was a camel or a wool cashmere blend, 50% off. So it only cost me like 200 bucks. Granted, it is backordered until middle of December, but it'll be completely worth it once it gets here. So I could not click add to cart fast enough. So I finally did it and I ordered the jacket, but it's already going to be a favorite because I bet it's going to be gorgeous. I can't wait. That is all of the intro and all the fun stuff. Now let's get into the topic of this podcast, which is all about imposter syndrome. And it has been a crazy buzzword, especially in the world of girl bosses, lady bosses, female entrepreneurs, female in the workplace, you name it. You've probably come across the idea of imposter syndrome. But for those of you who don't know what imposter syndrome is, the Harvard Business Review defines it as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persists despite success. So it's kind of characterized by chronic self-doubt and a sense of intellectual fraudulence that overrides feelings of success or external proof of competence. And surprisingly, another study found that 70% of people, not just women, but people in general feel imposter syndrome, which is insanely high, you guys. I did not know that it was that high until I came across that statistic. So some characteristics of imposter syndrome are you're internalizing your accomplishments, even though you have become successful. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's recognition for something. Maybe it's a press mention, whatever it might be. You are probably highly achieving and highly successful. Uh, You may suffer from perfectionism. However, Imposter syndrome does not equate with low self-esteem or lack of self-confidence. So I find that super, super interesting. And in terms of my own relationship with imposter syndrome, sometimes I do feel it. I will admit that sometimes, I I don't want to say it's rare, but more often than not, I don't feel it. But I, there have been some times where I'm like, oh, wow, is this really the place I'm meant to be? Is this, has this just been a fluke? Like, did I just get lucky? Am I just doing this because I got a consolation prize? Whatever it might be. So there have been times where I've felt it, even with my new job, I've felt it, you know, when I was in the hiring process, I was like, am I really truly worthy of this job? Like, can I perform? Can I be successful in this role? So it's just an interesting topic. And I think for a lot of people, especially women, I think it can hinder us from actually feeling like, hey, like we actually got to this place because we work hard, because of our talent, because of whatever it might be that we got to this place that we did earn the success. It wasn't just a fluke and it wasn't just an accident. It's because we're truly good at what we're doing and we deserve it. Going back to kind of the origins with imposter syndrome, the art, the an article that I referenced mentioned that it could come from labels parents can give to you, meaning that you could say, oh, like so-and-so is the intellectual sibling or so-and-so is the lazy sibling or whatever it might be, or messages of superiority. Like, so then it kind of like drives us to want to 
achieve certain things and then when we or when we do we don't feel like we quite earned those things and I don't know if I quite agree with that I mean I could see that it could drive some of it possibly but like I don't think it could be the cause I mean I don't know it's kind of hard to say because speaking from my own experience I've felt pressure on myself in various circumstances and some of it has been external pressure but a lot of it has been internal pressure but conversely it doesn't mean that the internal pressure couldn't have come from the external pressure so it's very interesting but I don't know if our parents could quite be a you know, a significant cause for imposter syndrome. I don't know. It's the jury's still out on it. This was just one particular study that was referenced. But yeah, I just found it interesting that it was mentioned that parents were a cause of it. So yeah, going into thoughts and feelings that you might feel with imposter syndrome, you might feel like this, oh, I must not fail mentality where you put pressure that you have to have to succeed every time or else, or else you're a failure or you didn't really achieve what you wanted to achieve on the timeline you wanted to achieve it. You might also feel that it's uh, that, you know, success is no big deal that I don't know, like success is, yeah, it's not a big deal or it's not important to you or um, some sort of things. And that it might all be down to luck, which might is never the case if you're working hard or I what's the saying that goes it's one percent luck, ninety-nine percent skill, or is that a song? <laughs> it's probably a song. What is it? Eminem? Maybe? I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, it's none of it is, you know, luck when you work hard. Maybe the right Maybe you think it's luck because it happened at just the right time where you feel that things are falling into place, but at the end of the day, it's more than just luck, it's skill. So it's kind of interesting when you kind of put the thoughts and feelings together when it comes to imposter syndrome. You know, you feel like you're inadequate, you feel like you might, you know, that you, the success isn't yours, that it could be somebody else's, you know, so... It's just interesting that, you know, that this conundrum has overtaken so many people. And I think one of the issues could, two things, I think. One is the American workaholic sort of culture. Our country, you know, there's been a number of studies done that our country works more than pretty much any other country in the world, which you can see people are, you know, are self-proclaimed Uh, workaholics, you know, and all that. So I think that part of imposter syndrome comes from that. And then the secondly, it also comes from an individualistic culture. What that means, if you're not familiar, is there are two types of culture. There's individualistic and then there's a collective culture. So here in America, we definitely have individualistic culture where you kind of are in this mentality of looking out for yourself, not so much for others or the greater good. It's kind of just, you know, up to you and up to you individually. And so I think when it comes to imposter syndrome, like we are just focused on how far we can go, how far we can excel. Um, And if we don't get to that level or if we do, we feel like, you know, it's really just kind of up to us and up to our effort or, you know, something of the matter. 
So I think it's really interesting when you kind of look at those different dynamics that A, we have this workaholic type culture and B, we have an individualistic type culture that really can contribute to imposter syndrome because more people are working, more people are succeeding, but people are still feeling like they're inadequate and they're not doing enough. And that said, there's also, there's five types of imposter syndrome. So the first is the perfectionist where you feel like you could have done better. So this could be something where you maybe have got a project done, but it you thought it was a B, B type work versus A work. It could have been, you know, you needed to get something published, but it ha- you find errors in it. Or, you know, you do, do something right up until the 11th hour. Whatever it might be, you, whatever happens, you feel like you could have done better. But in order to kind of mediate that, you, you need to own and celebrate your achievements to avoid the burnout, find happiness and self-confidence. So instead of focusing on what went wrong, you got to focus on what went right. And it's very hard. And I'll speak from personal experience because a lot of the times, you know, a lot of people, especially the critics, will only look at what you did wrong, not necessarily what you did right. But it's up to you to really focus on what you actually did right in this instance, whether it's, okay, I got that I did get this done before the deadline or, oh, like I got this up or, oh, I got all the stakeholders approval or whatever the situation might be. You know, that's you know, you just have to own and celebrate that as opposed to just looking for what went wrong and just dwelling on that because that's not going to make you happy. That's going to just bring out your inner critic and no one wants the inner critic. So you have to take your mistakes in stride. And then something that is interesting is to actually act before you're ready. What this means is, you know, maybe you don't have everything like a hundred percent prepared, but you just start anyway. So a great example is me and this podcast. So, you know, I'll typically do an outline, but you know, I, I can't basically write a script for myself. And the biggest thing I criticize myself on when I listen to the playback or the amount of filler words that I use. So, um, you know, like you've probably heard a ton of them in this podcast and I edit out a ton more that you definitely don't hear. But that for me is something I dwell on every time I'm like, oh God, it's going to take me two hours to edit this podcast because I have to edit out all these filler words. And so for me, I have to instead focus on what I did actually do. Did I record for a certain length of time? Did I you know, where did I not use filler words? But that said, I could only write an outline so much. And I've been given advice like, oh, you could just write a word for word script and read off the script. But then I'm like, if I'm recording for 45 or 50 minutes, I can't write a 45 to 50 minute script. That's insane. I'd rather just have talking points. And once I get the ball rolling, I can just talk. And when I'm passionate, I don't usually use filler words. So in that instance, that's where acting before I'm ready. So maybe my outline isn't 100% perfect and I can just add things in off the top of my head, but it gives me a starting point to where I can say, okay, I'm ready to record. I can just sit down, grab the mic, press the record button. 
So that is kind of how you combat the perfectionist if you think you fall into that category of imposter syndrome. The second is you are the superman or superwoman. In that case, you work harder to measure up. So maybe this is staying at the office way later, or this is taking on extra work, even though your bandwidth is very low and you have to stretch yourself too thin. You're the person who you feel that if you're not occupying every second of your free time, you're not you know, being productive, you're not a productive member of the society. And I also feel this, like there's some days where if I'm not doing something after work in the evening or on the weekend that's productive, I'm just, I just feel so guilty about, oh my gosh, I should be doing this. I have time to be doing this. I should be doing a project. I should be doing this instead of watching TV. So that's definitely hard for me to combat where I'm just, I feel like I need to be productive all the time and then I forget to relax. And relaxation is a big contention point for the Superman, Superwoman type of imposter because they feel guilty when they relax and they have a hard time actually relaxing, which in turn leads to burnout. So, and then these people also need validation. So they need to be told like at a boy, at a girl, they need to be told when they're, you know, doing things right or doing things wrong or getting just that pat on the back to know that they're in the right direction. And then they need to just learn how to take constructive criticism in stride. Because sometimes we have a hard time if somebody is telling us, hey, like you're kind of a workaholic or oh, you don't, you know, spend enough time relaxing, these people could get, you can get super defensive about this, which is no fun. You don't want to get defensive or feel like you're being attacked. You just want to learn and feel like you're improving in strides. So if you self-identify as the Superman, Superwoman type of imposter, um, consider trying to, you know, just, you know, work on feeling less guilty about taking some time to relax or taking time to burn out. The best example is go on a vacation. I don't know how many people I know who say they're going on a vacation or on PTO and they just end up working the whole time. And for me, like... I do the complete opposite. If I'm taking PTO, I will shut off my emails, shut off my Slack notifications. So I am just fully immersed in the moment because I know that if I do spend that time to relax, I'll come back with a fresh, clean mindset ready to really just dive back into work. And I think that is so important, especially if you have a really stressful job or you're really high up, have a really high up position like that distraction, not distraction, that time off from work and relaxation will help make you even better in your work when you get back. So if you are that type, I would highly suggest, you know, making some time and taking some time for yourself. The third type is the natural genius. So if you were this type, you often judge your competence based on the ease and speed that you can complete tasks as opposed to the effort to get that task. So you have set the bar very high for yourself and you only really consider yourself accomplished if you get things right on the first try. And, you know, this is 
this maybe if you're a math person and you're having a hard time getting an equation down or having a hard time analyzing something, you might feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm not smart. I'm not accomplished because I can't get this. And this a lot of times the people who this happens to are the ones who maybe things come easier to them, like they can get straight A's without trying, they absorb content like a sponge, you know, whatever it might be. So this type of person, if they don't get something or they don't understand something, they feel like they're a failure. And an easy way, well, not easy, none of this is easy, a way to kind of combat this is to think of yourself as a work in progress. And you want to think about yourself in terms of, okay, I'm always improving, I'm always learning, I don't know all the answers, but let me just take the necessary steps to work on them in stride. And then also think about change behaviors. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it's learn. Maybe if you need to learn how this equation works or something, maybe you just sit down and learn it. Maybe make some notes to yourself to reference it. Whatever you do so you, you know, can learn and not make the same mistake twice. That's key. So then the fourth type is the soloist. So you want to do everything by yourself. You don't want to ask for help. You just want to operate and you know, do everything. And if you feel like you need help, then you feel like you're a failure because you can't handle it on your own. And guys, like we're all human here and we could always use a helping hand. Like there's, there's honestly part of me in every single one of these types that I've read out to you so far. And for me, sometimes I feel like, you know, I have to do everything on my own and that if I ask for help, it's, you know, making me look weak. And but in reality, it's not, you know, for example, things like if you're having a car problem or need some sort of expert's help, it's better to go and ask for their help as opposed to trying to do it yourself and then failing miserably. So in cases like that, you know, ask for help from the professionals. Like if you have a friend who is really good at math or something, ask them for help or if a friend who's really good at writing, like whatever it might be. The key is to rely on others for help, especially in areas that you might not know a lot about. And it doesn't say that you're weak or that you don't know anything. It's that, hey, I'm strong enough to ask for help. And, you know, it's a big deal. It's hard. It's hard to ask for help a lot of the time, especially for complicated situations. But it is a constant reminder that we do have people we can turn to and we can ask people to help us out and give us a helping hand. There, and there's absolutely no shame in it. And the last one is the experts where you judge yourself on what and how much you know. And if you don't know something, you feel like you're a failure, you know, and you always feel like you never know enough, even though there is always something to learn, like you're not an expert in everything. You know, the old saying, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, you know, so to combat that, just really look at like just in time learning. So let's say you need to look up, I don't know, I'll use myself as an example. Like I knew I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome today. So instead of, you know, becoming an overnight expert on imposter syndrome, I, you know, when I was doing my outline, I just did a quick Google search and read up on it and just 
got the necessary info to prepare for this podcast. So that's what I mean by just in time learning is you don't have to know everything at all times. So but when the time comes and you do need to learn it, you can just hop on Google, get an encyclopedia, whatever it might be. So you can educate yourself and get ready in that time. And These are also people, it kind of dabbles into the soloists where you, these people like don't want to ask for help because they want to take the burden of learning everything on their own. When in reality, we are all experts in different things. Like I've asked my friends who are experts in things in different areas than I am for help because they are more of a subject matter expert than I am and then vice versa. I've had people ask me for advice on like social or marketing or content or branding, whatever it might be. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help and just they and people can help you learn in the process. So now that we've covered the five types of imposters, how do you mitigate the negative effects? So you know, it can be a very negative feeling that can affect our mental health, being an imposter and feeling like you have imposter syndrome. So in order to mitigate the negative effects, you have to recognize those feelings when they emerge. So maybe you just got a promotion or maybe you got a compliment from your boss or your manager or your or like a VP or something. And then immediately, the second you read it, you're like, oh, God, like, was that just a fluke? Like, oh, I don't deserve that. Like, there's a difference between being humble and recognizing imposter syndrome. And it's kind of interesting when you talk about humble and humility, like, Being humble in my mind is, okay, I'm not going to let the success go to my head. I'm just going to keep working. Whereas with imposter syndrome, you know, you feel that, you know, it's a fluke that you even are getting recognized for the success in the first place because you don't deserve it. And maybe there is a little bit too much humility when it comes to imposter syndrome, But at the end of the day, you know, we have to recognize our accomplishments and just mark it as a win in our book. Like I, in my planner, I have a section for wins during the day. Sometimes I don't fill it out. Sometimes I do. Just depends on what happens. But it's a nice reminder for me that like these are wins that I worked for and it's not a fluke. It's not a fluke that any of these things happened. So maybe do the same thing. Maybe you just keep a running word doc or a note of just accomplishments that you had, whether it's finishing a new project or getting a compliment from a superior or whatever it might be. Keep a running list and then use it to say, okay, like this is what I I have achieved and none of it is because of luck or because I don't deserve it. And, you know, when it does happen, when you do have these feelings, you know, you have to work to rewrite, rewrite your mental program. And I kind of just did that right there with saying, okay, like, you know, I'm going to reframe this. I'm going to have a mantra. A mantra is a great way of just saying, okay, like this is not a fluke. This is what happened. This is a true accomplishment. So I think just saying that to yourself or just writing it somewhere can really just help you kind of see it and reframe it and just say, take a step back and say, okay, I did do this. This is 
what I did. This is these are the accomplishments I had, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of just reframe it from being a negative thing to being a more positive thing. And then that said, you know, you need to talk about your feelings, talk to your friends, talk to your coworkers, talk to your parents, talk to your siblings about what you're feeling. And chances are they'll reassure you that, hey, this is was no accident. This was no fluke. This was just you. And this was just how, you know, your accomplishment and due to your hard work. And they will just really re-encourage you and kind of, I don't want to say revalidate, but just really um, make you feel that your accomplishments are true accomplishments, not anything less. And then in that case, you need to also consider the context of your imposter syndrome. Like, was it you being compared to somebody else or you getting a, getting a compliment for a task that you know you achieved. Because it's different, I think, when you are getting a compliment for a task that you know you did versus an, a, like a compliment that kind of just came out of the blue and you're just like, oh, well, like, oh, it wasn't really a big deal. Like you were downplaying it. But I think if you know you did that because you were like, okay, this is this is the correct course of action, then I think you're more, you know, likely to think of it less as a fluke and more of an accomplishment and just more of something that actually did happen as opposed to it being, oh, well, they're mistaken, like, and just downplay it. So the thing is, just don't downplay it is, I guess what I'm trying to say, but you know, your actions and you know what you did. And most of the time your actions are intentional. So really just think about your intentions and your actions, because chances are like you meant to do what you did for a specific reason. There was a purpose behind it. And it wasn't just a random act that you chose, woke up one morning and chose to do. The next thing is to reframe failure as a learning opportunity. And this especially works for some of the imposters that I had mentioned before. So we all fail and it's okay because we learn more from our failures than from our successes. So maybe if you failed learning an equation or doing something, you'll just know for next time, like, hey, um, I learned from this. I'm not going to make this mistake and just don't do it because none of us are perfect. We're all learning in one way or another. So I think it's important to recognize that we all make mistakes and there's always a learning opportunity from those mistakes. So don't ever shut yourself down because of the mistakes that you make. Instead, use them to uplift you and make use them to make you better. Then you know, it goes without saying, just be kind to yourself, be kind and give yourself grace over guilt. Like I could give myself guilt over so many things like not reaching my daily goals or like not reaching my monthly goals or whatever it might be. But as I learned from doing my power sheets, there's always a section every month that says I'm choosing to give myself grace over guilt about and then you fill it out. And I just kind of think we just need to do that. Give ourselves grace over guilt when it comes to what we accomplished and what we didn't accomplish. 
um, and whatnot. So you just have to be kind to yourself and forgiving because there's only 24 hours in a day and we only have seven days in a week. So, you know, we just have to decide how we want to use our time and how we and what we deem successful and what we don't deem successful. But success can come in different terms. Like it's common for weight loss goals to have what's called non-scale victories. So maybe it's you feel more endurance when you do a workout or maybe it's you feel um, like you can portion control better. Those are non-scale victories. And sometimes we just need to take a step back and recognize those um, when they happen and just say, okay, like, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, worry about what didn't happen, but worry about what did. And it's, you can just add it as a place for gratitude in your, um, whether it's your planner, your journal, whatever, just a place for, to mark down your wins and what your gratitude is and just whatever other accomplishments you might have. Cause I think it's important to document that stuff. Cause otherwise you just forget it and you just leave it out. The other thing is to seek support. So, you know, talk to your friends, talk to other, like if you're a woman and and struggling from this, see if your girl, your girlfriends are suffering from the same things. See if your mentor is suffering from the same thing. They might have some good advice for you too. And last but not least, you know, visualize your success. And, um, I kind of did this earlier this week. I made a um, mood board, um, because it was part of my artist week or my artist way challenge to make a mood board. Um, well, it wasn't really for a mood board. It was for a collage. And so I chose to do it in the form of a mood board and then make it my computer wallpaper. So every time I look at it, I can just see the things I want to cultivate and go with. So I think it really helps. I really do believe in manifestation. I think as I pot, um, mentioned on, a few podcast episodes ago, but yeah, um, you know, just see what you want to accomplish. Maybe the type of home or the type of vibe or the type of person you want to be and use that to kind of guide your way to success because chances are, you know, whatever you want to happen will happen ultimately. So yeah, you know, with that, that ends the talk on imposter syndrome. It was a lot. I did not expect that all of my notes and whatnot would give you a nice, you know, half hour or so chunk of content, but I'm really happy it did. So yeah, moving into my closing out this podcast, um, first with three things I'm excited to try this week. One is my holiday baking. So I'm stoked and ready to bake for the holidays. I, um, have all my ingredients and everything, but this week is when it starts. So it's the perfect thing to do in the evening. Just bake a dish. I am actually also making baklava this week and learning how to do it on my own. So that's really exciting. The second thing is Vlogmas. So I really need to just figure out what I would like to do for Vlogmas. My initial thinking was putting up a vlog every couple days, but then I don't know. I I want to try to swing every day, but we'll see what happens. It might be every other day. We'll see. I still need to figure that out, but I'm just excited to A, watch it and B, participate it and participate in it for once. 
The last thing I'm excited for are the advent calendars. So I have the David Stee advent calendar, which I am so excited to dive into. Uh, just encourage me to drink more tea and just, you know, have that. I think food advent calendars are more fun than the ones that come with trinkets because you can actually consume the food every day. And then by the end of it, it's done. You don't have to worry about, you know, keeping some stuff that you don't really want to keep and whatnot. So I'm really looking forward to the David's T1. We also have a Bonnie Maman jam calendar. So that should be really interesting as well, especially when we start making charcuterie boards. So yeah, the last thing I want to leave you guys with as we end this week and go into a new week is a quote of the week that I found. This one is from Karen Walrand and it says, comparison kills creativity. There's room for you. Uh, no, there's room for you. Nobody can do. Damn it. Let's just restart. Um, and it says comparison kills creativity. There's room for you. Nobody can do it with your voice, with your experience and your insights. So I really like this because it shows that, you know, we are one of a kind and our successes are our own and there's plenty of room in the space, no matter what industry we're in for us to be successful. And with that, I thank you for listening to this episode of Badassery Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook um, and to see latest updates and all that. And I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.